Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by investing, by having a side hustle, by starting your own business in any means possible. And today, we are going to be talking with an expert who's going to show us how we can be visionaries, luminaries, somebody that actually sees a vision for our life and then makes it happen and then builds businesses so we can become financially independent. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. What's up, guys? Super pumped to have you here with me on the Successfully Unemployed show. Now, I know that lots of us who are starting, let's say, a side hustle, a freelance business, starting a full-blown business, we all want to eventually get to the point where we are financially independent. Now, I did it through real estate investing. That's only one way. There are so many ways that people can actually become financially independent. Now, whatever path you're taking, that's why I have the Successfully Unemployed show is to give you, or at least share with you, all the different paths that I've come across, many, many different people. And with that, hopefully one's going to resonate with you. Now, when you do get that, then you got to learn how to scale that business. You need to learn how to grow the business so that you're not just building another job for yourself. You know, when you have a job, that J-O-B, that just a broke job, when you're working for one boss, you have an employer, he's your boss. But if you quit and you start your own company and you're a sole proprietor, basically, you know, you have your own business, then you're trading one boss for many little bosses. Meaning if a customer doesn't buy your product, then you don't make money. That's a boss, basically. And so what we can tend to do is trade one boss for many bosses. Now, that's good in the short term, meaning we just start our business. We're having many bosses, you know buy our products or we're going and mowing their lawn, whatever your business is going to be. But then learning how to scale and become a leader where you're hiring people so that they are running the business for you. And instead of having a bosses, a bunch of little bosses that are telling you what to do, that you have to actually work one hour to get paid, you're now employing other people. And on top of that, you are also creating a business that employs other people, and you're leading them. And that's what our expert is going to show with us today, how we can scale our business so that we're hiring the right people, that we're becoming great leaders so that we can make sure that the business runs without us so that we then have financial independence instead of waiting for that next job to come through or being able to or having to work one hour and get paid for that one hour. Instead of that, we're having other people do work for us and we are becoming leaders. And today I'm bringing on an expert who's going to share with us how we can do it as well. And she's taught many, many other people. So she's going to show us how we can scale our businesses. Let's bring on Elizabeth Hartke. Hey, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the Successfully Unemployed show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. And it's super great to to meet you. I was on your podcast, which is a terrific podcast. So everybody, you definitely should check out our podcast. Now, talk to us about what do you do now that you can pro- provide for yourself and your family without working a dead-end J-O-B, like I like to call it, just overbroke job? Yeah, amen to that. Uh, I, I've been in one of those before, and I don't ever want to do it again. And I, am, I run the Luminary Leadership Company with my husband, and we serve entrepreneurial families and parents. We serve the entrepreneurs on, on the business side, helping them scale and grow their businesses so that they can be in stable, producing, freedom um like freedom capturing business models that allow them to also be fully present for their families and raise leaders of their own and really instill a lot of the values that come from entrepreneurship into their kids to serve them in their, you know, growth into leadership. And um, it's such a treasure. I love the work that I do and I get to meet awesome people like you along the way and see the transformations that happen when they make these shifts. It is amazing to see how people can change their lives when they realize that 
as they leadership number one, but then also having a vision for generational wealth, how we can help more than just ourselves and our needs. Our needs are fine. Like we definitely need to take care of our needs. But as soon as we're able to get past that and build businesses or do things that are helpful so we can get past it, just looking after our needs, we can help so many more people. So I'm super glad that you're that you're doing that. Now, what were you doing before? Like you didn't always do this. And so you said you might have had one in the past, but what were you doing before? And that what got you into where you are today? It's been a an evolution, I will say. So I've been doing this for 10 years, but it looked drastically different 10 years ago. So before I broke into entrepreneurship, I was working in corporate marketing and I actually worked for a giant global liquor company for corp their corporation and I was doing marketing for them. And I loved the science and the psychology of marketing. I loved understanding what made people tick, what made people take action or think a certain way or uh, believe something in particular led them to go down a specific path, but I hated doing it under someone else's thumb. I am like a born rule breaker. I did not like that I had someone telling me how I had to do something. They did not care about my expertise or my thoughts. And I knew I just had to break free of it. So what I actually did in my earliest stages of business was said, okay, how can I take what I'm doing here at this company? I had a bunch of a uh, bunch of my clients under this company were bars, restaurants, clubs, uh, hotels in the city of Boston, built a lot of rapport with the, the business owners. So I started going around to them and saying, hey, I want to do your marketing on my own. Like I want to, I'm going to break out of this and I want to help you you know, get more people in the door, buying more drinks from you and experiencing, um, you know, more lucrivity in your business. So that's where I started. Now, I don't do anything even in that realm anymore. That was a decade ago, but it evolved. And I, I am such a strong believer that answers come to those who take action. So at the time, I thought that was the thing, but I didn't know until I was doing it, experiencing it, developing myself and my skill sets to realize, okay, this this isn't the thing, but it's going to continue to grow and evolve. And I quickly shifted into serving entrepreneurs, helping them grow and scale. I was raised by entrepreneurs and I have a special place in my heart for small business owners, helping them build more freedom into their business so that they're not in a time for money model and they have more passive and residual income streams. I love the idea that you took what you were well, you started working and then you realized you actually enjoy something and then you turned that into a business and made it even developed it and grew it even more. I think that's that's terrific. And so re a big reason why I wanted to create the Successfully Unemployed show is because there are so many people that are like us that would like to get out of the rat race, be our own uh, boss, they're entrepreneurial, but they only see a couple things. Like maybe their, their dad did this and they knew of a person that did this, but it's kind of limited. If you open your mind to see all the different ways that other people have figured out how to become successful and employed, like it's it's almost limitless for you. And so as you changed, made that change in your 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 mindset to where thinking, I well, I also am definitely a rule breaker just in general. That's just my my personality is is leaning towards uh, rule breaking. In fact, when I was, I want to say it was like two, my aunt was relaying the story to me when I was two years old. She was painting the, the a bedroom and I was standing in there and she looked at me square in the eye and says, oh, now Dustin, don't touch the wall. I looked her back in the eye, my full palm, literally right on the wall. I got a bad spanking for that. That was indicative for how I am in the rest of my life. But I'm glad that I break rules in a sense because I was told, we're all told, go to school and then get good grades. Once you get good grades, go to college get good grades, get thousands of dollars in debt, then work your life for 40 plus years, retire when you're 65, 70 years old. I didn't like that rule or the quote unquote rule that put up people upon me. So what made that change in you? Was it that, that idea that you can be your own boss or was it the freedom in life? What, what made you want to go this new route? probably driven by the aspirations of freedom. So growing up, both of my parents ran their own businesses. My aunts and uncles all were small business owners, my grandparents. So I was just fully immersed in it. And that's all I knew. And what I realized very quickly was that they had flexibility as entrepreneurs, right? They had the ability to, you know, in the middle of the day, come to school and drop popsicles off on a hot day for the kids or to um, cart us around to our ball games and be on the sidelines cheering us on or be present at dinner time. But they paid for it later. I have a lot of memories being really young and uh, maybe four or five years old and coming out of the bedroom to go get a glass of water at like midnight and seeing the dining room light on and my mom paying for it later, right? Like making up for that time that she was physically present with us during the day 
doing the work at night when we slept, which to her was a gift. She didn't look at it as a, a sacrifice or a complaint. But for me, I knew I wanted that flexibility, but I wanted to up level it. I wanted a level of freedom. And I knew I just couldn't get that in a traditional job. And it's not knocking people who do go that path. I think certain personalities might do better in that. Uh, and they aren't rule breakers and they, they like following a pattern and a rule and a process um, and having predictable hours and things like that. There's not that predictability in entrepreneurship. But for me, it was the aspirations of freedom. And it was it started before I had kids. And I envisioned the life we have now way back then, knowing someday I hoped God would bless me with a family and wanting to be able to be flexible and have freedom, not in the time for money model. So I dedicated a lot of my time in those early years of business of how can I take this from a time for money model, which it was in the beginning of putting in hours and helping people with their marketing and then starting to develop and diversifying and having offers and different things that allowed for more of that freedom side of the business as well. That's great. And I definitely want to talk to you about how we can make our businesses much more um, freeing in a sense, because a lot of people, they become basically sole proprietors, which means they own a job. And when you own a job, if you don't work, you still don't get paid. Just like if you don't work for your job, you know, you work an hour, you don't get paid for that hour. Creating passive income. I love passive income. That's one of my favorite things to ways to make money. Uh, now, how do we, if we have a business of our own, start to change? Because it seems like we can get stuck. How do we, is it our mindset first that we got to change and then we got to start looking for the right people? Like what, how do we change inside our mindset and get everything changed in our life? Yeah, that's a powerful question. Cause I do think that's a block for a lot of people is you, you know, a lot of people, even if they're not old, they have the old dog, you know, no new tricks kind of mindset of like, oh, this is just how it's done in my industry, or this is how I've always done it. Or I can't really, that's not going to work for me. And I think that attitude it's like, you're right. <laughs> okay. You just signed yourself up to be stuck in the box that you created. That's not all that different from a regular job, except for the fact that it rides all on your shoulders. And there's a lot more pressure and stress when you're running your own business. So I do think the first piece is saying, okay, where, where can I identify my gaps for me? You know, we're the luminary leadership company, like everything rises and falls on leadership for us. We, we believe that the bridge to all of those things, to diversifying, to stepping into new opportunities, to learning, you know, skill sets that you might not have yet that are the block from where you are to where you want to be. It's all going to be through the bent of leadership. What do I, not just what do I have to do, but who do I have to become in order to really leverage where I want to go? And I think a lot of people say, okay, give me the checklist. My business is the way it is today. Tell me the things I have to do and I'll do it. And, it, and then I'll just step into it where I would challenge them and say, mm, you're likely not who you need to be yet. So where are your weak spots as a leader that you can also pour into and work on so that you're not just developing skills, but you're developing who you are and you're actually preparing yourself for what you would have responsibility over when you do grow and scale. Um, so that first piece is really opening up your mind to that. And for me, when I think back to when I first started doing that, it was surrounding myself with people that were doing it, not surrounding myself with people in my industry that were had one dimensional thinking. It was surrounding myself with people and mentors um, and peers that were thinking outside the box and that were breaking the industry rules and were open to new ways of approaching things and, and were in constant innovation because it was inspiring to me and it was eye opening to me and all the only evidence that I needed Dustin to know that I could do it was that one other person had also done it. So as long as I was around someone or could rub elbows with or witness, even from a distance, even if they didn't know who I was, but I saw them speak or I read their book and they did it. I'm like, cool. All right. This is available to me. I don't know the how yet. I don't know how long it will take, but I was in that frame of mind of like, maybe it was naivety. Like, I don't know, but I believed that anything was available to me. And I think that open-mindedness, even though I was super green and didn't know how to do it yet, was what made it available to me. It's having that example that it's possible. Number one, seeing that it is possible. Then number two, having somebody that hopefully if you can talk to and rub elbows with, like you said, and definitely staying away from the naysayers, people that say, oh, it can't be done, or they want to project their own limitations on you because maybe they can't do it because they are too controlling and they can't let go of that. Well, they probably need to so that they can allow other people to do work. It reminded me of a story of how the four minute mile was broken. And so basically somebody runs them in uh, one mile in four minutes that was never done for like the history of the world. Then one person did it. His name is Roger Bannister. And then literally 
four, like 40 days later, somebody else did it because they say, hey, it can be done. I'm going to do it too. And so as we see that, even just becoming successfully unemployed, you know, everybody has the idea that, well, we need got to make money. But then other people like us and people who listen to the show start to think it's possible to make money without working for somebody else. So if we were to take our thinking and switch it from working a, a W-2, a regular job, to where we want to be on our own, how do we make that shift in our mind to say, let's move into something? Like, is it something that we love, we're passionate about? Should we go after that? Is it something that maybe we have no clue that we're good at, but we should start working on that? What are your thoughts to becoming successful and unemployed? You got to get a win, okay? So sometimes I think our tendency as creatives or people that are wanting to do big things in the world and have big aspirations, we go for the grand slam and it's like, what's the thing way down the road that we need to like develop 1 million skills between now and then to actually make it happen and we don't have the team yet to support it. That's great in theory, but I think what you need to build your chops is a win. So what is that low hanging fruit that's in alignment with two things, skill sets or knowledge that you have, and at the very least can continue to develop and innate giftings. And I think that's the piece that people really undervalue. So you have your skills, the things that maybe you learned on the job or like for me, right? Marketing. I started to learn marketing in my corporate career and it was something I I wanted to study. So I'd read about it and I'd learn about it and I listen to speakers on it and I'd watch how other people did it. That was a skill that could be developed. But then one of the things that I was way undervaluing in myself was my innate giftings, the things that weren't taught to me and they weren't things that I studied, but they were kind of the things that just, I don't know, they're like how God made me, things that were gifts to me. Like I look at my kids and I can see it in them. I can see that my daughter, um, Marie, has just this innate thoughtfulness. Like it's it's wild to me that a, a kid that young can come into a situation and immediately think about other people before herself. That's not common for a little kid. (laughs) That's an innate thing, right? And I see how in my other two, that's not their gift. They're not thinking (laughs) about that. So I, I think we don't pay attention to that as much because we take it for granted. It's usually something mm. that we can construe as simple or like, yeah, that's not that big of a deal. But in the marketplace, it can be one of the most powerful tools in our belt that we're underutilizing. So if you can combine, oh, hey, what am I passionate about? What do I like to study? What do I have skills in with where are my innate giftings? And you can kind of package that and figure out how, all right, what's the vehicle I want to monetize this through? It can be a great first step, a low hanging fruit, something that's in your sweet spot and that you can get a win in to realize, hey, this isn't that hard. I don't have to go for this big beastly thing over here that's going to take me five years to develop. I can take one step and see the ROI on that step. I think it's great. And it's it definitely kind of reminds me of our conversation on your podcast. Like you saw, we saw eye to eye on lots of stuff and everything you're saying is exactly how I'm envisioning with all of my students as I'm coaching people how to invest in real estate. We want to get wins because if you don't get a win, you kind of feel like the end line, the end goal is like so far away that you'll never reach it. And so we just got to make sure that we put little goalposts in front of us. And I love that you brought up like what is innate inside of you, like a gifting that's literally inside of you. Some people might say that being an extrovert is better than being an introvert. Like an introvert might say, oh, I wish I was an extrovert. Like, no, I mean, it it might be better either way. It doesn't matter. But whatever you are, that's your gifting. You could lean into that and people will gravitate towards you on doing that. So I love that. Now, if we were to now make our business to where we can have more freedom, in it. How do we do that? I mean, that's, it's, I just want to leave it as broad as possible. How do we make our business more free for us to do the things that we want to do in our lives? In the simplest, you know, the simplest way of putting it is you have to break out of the time for money model. So, you know, you mentioned this before, but common, common businesses I work with are when they first come to me are service-based, for example, right? Like they are literally not feeding their family. If they have a week where God forbid they get sick or they take a vacation, they're like, I have to account for a gap in income for myself. So the, the simplest first step is, all right, what is something that I can create or diversify in or develop that is outside of time for money? And there are ways you can kind of baby step your way there. So for example, let's say you're in an industry and I know this doesn't you know, blanket across all industries, but I'm just gonna give an example. If you are an, in an industry where you are like client to client, one-on-one, that's how you make your money. Say a, a, a hairstylist or you know, they're a, t- a chiropractor, whomever. Then you have to say, all right, 
could the baby step instead of being like, oh, I'm going to create an online program for stylists. Maybe that's like a few steps down the road. Maybe the next step is how can I do something one to many, maybe workshops for people in your industry or something of that nature. So going from one to one to one to many is a great way to start to um, really maximize and kind of duplicate yourself and, and see a bigger ROI on that time that you are investing, but it's still time for money. I then like to get into, and hey guys, get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777, rental to 33777. And I'll give you, literally give you my real estate investing course, showing you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first, how to scale the business, buy the right properties, making $250 or more every single month in passive income. I'll literally just give it to you you can get started investing right away. Text the word rental to 33777. I then like to get into you know packaging your knowledge and your innate giftings. So now how can you extract your wisdom and who would that be of value to? And then how can you package that? There are so many different, and I, I believe 100% this can be done across any industry. And I know there are a lot of people that have blocks up because it's just not common in their industry, but I've literally mentored a woman who knits. She's never worked, she's stayed home with her kids, for decades she's older and she has all her kids out of the house now and she loves knitting she runs a multi-million dollar business extracting her knowledge on how to knit and put it into digital products that that sell wow. for people online so if a woman who likes to knit can do it and who's like in her late 60s it's a it's universal across any industry you just have to be creative enough and be willing to think outside the box enough of how can i extract this knowledge and who would it be of value to and then how can i package it and monetize it for them i firmly believe that this time in the history of the world there's never been a better time than now to make money in many in almost every single different way i mean the internet and technology has made it so much easier to deliver goods to give content and knowledge like I, th I personally think that universities and colleges are going to start really going by the wayside because there's so much information out there that's either free or you can pay dramatically less for that information. Now, it seems like we're going to need to have some businesses, business systems and processes in place so that our business can run without us literally you know, dictating every single thing. Talk to me about systems and uh, processes that we should be looking at, but, you know, maybe big broad principles or anything like that, but what should we do in our businesses with processes and systems? That's something that's really critical when you are gonna start scaling, but it also can be really overwhelming. If, that's, if you're like me and that's not your innate gifting and you're like, oh my gosh, the idea of systemizing things and organizing things and getting things in working order on the back end is terrifying to me. I'm just, I'm just showing up and, and serving my clients. Like that's what I'm good at. I'm not good at that side of it. I would again, challenge you there. There are so many tools now to help us with all the different types of systems. So we can talk from a basic level of like, are you future thinking? So this is a really important thing that I bring to my clients about a leadership skill. Sometimes when we're running a business, we're so in the weeds of the day to day, because that's just the nature of the beast that we've created, that we don't have time to be in the flyover zone, looking ahead at where we're going and how we're evolving. So that means you're going to be in the same business now that you will be 20 years from now, because if nothing changes, nothing changes. So you have to build in the capacity and the space to be in that flyover zone at the same time that you have to be in the weeds, because that's just, let's be realistic. You can't just decide, oh, I'm not doing that anymore because then maybe the money's not coming in. But there are ways that you can do that um, and really be future thinking. So you can use tools, if you're not in a place where you can hire someone to be uh, an operations director or project manager or someone like that. You can use tools like Trello or Asana or ClickUp or any of these system tools to be able to start to build out the future vision of your company and start saying, okay, this is a project that I want to happen in 2023, but work kind of has to start being chipped away at now in order for that to come to fruition. What am I gonna need between now and then? Well, you can start to build that into a backend system so that you can visually see 
how is this going to roll out so that it's not just some pipe dream and 2023 rolls around you're like oh crap i haven't done anything to prepare myself to be ready for that um depending on what your capacity is you could also bring people in who have the gift gift of systems that's something that i did early on and an investment i made probably prematurely but it was a it was a huge return i brought in someone who's still with me um seven years later who is now our director of operations who really helped me figure out okay what are the like i didn't even know what the systems were that I needed, but I needed a way. I was managing my clients in a notebook 10 years ago. I was writing down their name and keeping track of things in a notebook. And then like, oh no, where did I put that sticky note? I can't find, this is an important thing I need to know. And I couldn't keep track of everything. So she helped me build the CRM so that I could keep track of everything and, and pay attention and better serve my clients. So there are a lot of different systems and tools. One thing that I'm constantly telling people, no matter what industry you're in, you have to be building and nurturing an email list. And there are systems to help you do that too. So you're not sending individual emails in your Google email, but you're nurturing people on the back end and really serving them well. So those are some simple systems um, in, a, in a specific sense. And from a zoomed out sense, I think one of the most important things is just looking out forward and saying, okay, how can I chip away at this so it doesn't become this massive stress? I have a lot of people who are like, yeah, but my days are fully booked with my clients. When am I going to have time to do this other thing? Well, if you create an appropriate timeline and a, an appropriate project plan, it's something that you can roll out with time. Man, those are great insights. And you did mention, Elizabeth, that you hired somebody like an operations manager to be running, like give you the ideas of what you can potentially put in, what systems and processes. You said you hired them maybe a little bit earlier than than maybe suggested or anything. Talk to me about how an entrepreneur, because as an entrepreneur, we usually have every single hat on. We start a business, we do literally everything, but as it grows, we can't continue to do everything. At the same time, we're worried about money. We're worried about, okay, if I hire somebody, that's going to be money that I can't have for the business or for a family or whatever it might, might be. How do we couple the two together where we're concerned about money, but we know we need to scale and in order to scale, we have to hire other people or get up, pay, like have money come out of our pocket to make the businesses better. Yeah, sometimes you really do have to spend money to make more. There are leaps that you have to take and and seasons where you actually strategically know. Like, I feel like when you wrap your brain around it, it hurts a little bit less when you know, hey, I'm going into a season where we're not going to see as much profit this spring. But it's for the goal of come the fall we're seeing way more profit and we need to bridge this gap. So when you wrap your brain around it, instead of just kind of letting it happen and then you see the numbers change, it can be like suffocating. So that's the, the first piece is just having the knowledge and, and being in control of that and, and being intentional about the moves that you're making. But when it comes to bringing people in, I always say just err on the side of easing into that instead of saying, all right, I'm gonna go from having no employees to a full-time employee. Why? There are so many people now available online, in person, that you can bring on for five hours a week and do a trial run and then work your way up so that it's not overwhelming. There are payment structures that you can have that are commission-based or part commission-based so that they have some skin in the game and you're not putting all the money out up front, but when they create an ROI, depends on the position, of course, but when they start help and create an ROI in the business, they get paid on the back end. So there's less risk for you. Get creative, get scrappy. I, in the beginning days, I couldn't actually, the woman that's with me now has been with me for seven years. When I brought her on, I brought her on as a virtual assistant, a couple hours a week. I couldn't afford to pay her her going rate. And so we bartered in the early, I was scrappy, Dustin. I was Smart. like, what do I need? And how can I get what I need? Well, I can, what gifts do I have and what leverage do I have that I can provide for her? So I was giving her business coaching and she was doing work for me and we were making an exchange because I couldn't afford. So it was just, it's this like, people think so inside the box and they don't, they're like, oh, that's not available to me. It's like, no, you're just not thinking about all the ways it could be. Start thinking about how this can't like be a problem solver, be solution oriented. How can this be available to you? And I think that's leadership and, and entrepreneurship in a nutshell. There are the people who look at something and they say, yeah, that's not going to work for me. And I'd say that's the majority of people. And then there are the people who say, how am I going to make that work for me? Like, what are my options? 
and then lay them out. They might not be pretty. They might not be conventional. They might get rejected, but at least you're working towards a solution that's going to help you scale. So don't, my strong recommendation is if you're tight for cash, don't make a, a commitment you can't keep. You know, if you don't know how bringing someone in as a VA or an operations director or whatever, it depends on what your business is, how that's going to move the needle or if it is, and you made this $50,000 a year commitment, and now you have no need for it because you're seeing that it's you're hemorrhaging cash and it's not moving the needle. I like to have a 90 day grace period and it's for them and for me. I say, okay, over these 90 days, this is our kind of trial period together. We're going to see how you fit within our team and you get to say, yeah, actually, I don't really like the, the way you guys operate and I want out. And then you give yourself some space and always have room for growth instead of taking such a scary leap that might not be necessary in that early stage of the game. Yeah, you you also mentioned something that I, I love the idea that we need to be problem solvers as entrepreneurs. Problems are always going to come up. In fact, when you're the owner, when you're the the, the entrepreneur, the business owner, the buck stops with you. Like if you don't get this thing fixed, more than likely it's not going to get fixed. You need to fix it. And on top of that, I found that the statement is true that necessity is a mother of invention. And so as we go through our business life, in life in general, but also business, when we see a problem, if we just shut down and not attack that problem or address the problem or go after it to try to fix it, then that becomes a problem that gets worse and worse. How do we become better problem solvers in our businesses? Is it being proactive and seeing them coming? Is it making sure we have lots of options beforehand? What are your thoughts about that? I think it's partially being proactive and anticipating. I mean, you have that's why the flyover zone is so important. I think sometimes when we're in the the granular so much that we never take the time to look ahead and see what's coming. Like, is there an iceberg under the surface that we are about to crash into because we're so just in the zone that we can't see things coming? That creates more problems than necessary. So maybe you can re you know, course correct, if you are building in white space to be a leader in your company to say, all right, this hour, this, maybe you only have one hour in that week to dedicate being in that flyover zone, but honor it. Like it's an appointment with one of the most important clients you'll ever have, because then that one hour now, like 50% of my time is in that flyover zone. So with time you have, you, you see the power of it and how it, it serves the growth of your business. So I think that's part of it. Uh, I think it's also a mindset. I think we have to get into this mindset of setting the expectation that problems are a part of, it's par for the course. There's no, there's no navigating and growing in a business where we're not going to be pretty much daily encountering problems. And I, I would say, and I would argue, if you are in a business right now where you're like, nah, things are pretty smooth sailing, you're probably not pushing yourself to your potential and what's possible for you. You've gotten in a comfort zone that's likely not leading to a ton of a fulfillment and opportunity for you. And I would challenge you to, to look at that and say, okay, maybe it's time to get into a place where I actually am feeling a little bit squeezed for my growth opportunity. Um, and I think too, it's having other sets of eyes on your business. It's kind of hard to see the label from inside the bottle. And it wasn't until I started bringing in mentors or being in masterminds or having peers that I would connect with regularly that could be another set of eyes and they were unbiased, but they had my best intentions at heart could say, hey, the way you're handling that with your team is not the way it's going to work out best for you. Or that, you know, that situation with that client is actually a result of you doing X, Y, Z. It's not the client's fault. And being able to hold up the mirror and say, hey, I, these are uh, these are other ways I see it. Or these are other solutions that I see as possibilities um, has served me immensely over the years. I think also being able to take that criticism and being humble and realizing that Oh man, they're probably right. Like they're they're they want what's best for me. They're not going to do this to try to hurt me. And so maybe I should look inter, introspectively and see. That's that's a great point. How do we stop being controlling in our business? Because being entrepreneurs, we can tend to be tend to usually become controlling. How do we stop being controlling and let other people do the work that we hire them to do? It's really hard because I was just having this conversation yesterday with one of my clients who has a tremendously successful business, but he's scaling so rapidly that he needed to bring on a lot more team. And now that team is doing a lot of the stuff that he has traditionally done that has moved the needle and, and 
seen a lot of really powerful growth for him. And the entire conversation was, man, Liz, how do I, how do I let go of the reins? And most of the people that I work with are entrepreneurial parents. They're people who are called to their mission in business and in family. So it's kind of, I was likening it to when we had our first son, I was running my own business at the time, but I needed a nanny to come in, you know, babysitter four hours a week. That's all I was willing to do because I was so nervous about having someone else with my kids. And I was home too. It wasn't even like I was passing this off to somebody and then leaving the house. And I'll never forget the first like two weeks she came, I was I was literally paying someone to sit in my house as I sat right next to them and didn't leverage the time to work because I was so afraid of letting go of my baby. And our businesses are our babies too in many ways. We've put blood, sweat, and tears into this. We've sacrificed. We've had sleepless nights. We've given everything. We've taken a bullet for it. I mean, it's the same concept. But I like to challenge my leaders that I'm mentoring to pick something that won't make or break your company and hand it off. Now, there are a couple things to caveat that. One being, have you onboarded these people properly and given them the tools and the support necessary that they can be capable? I do everything by the standard of, I do it, you watch, we do it together, you do it. And that's how I train my people. So when they first come on, I'm not saying, hey, oh, you have these skill sets on your resume. Great. Go run with this project. It's I'm going to do it. I want you to see how I do it. What you know, what are our standards? How do we operate on the background? What questions do you have? And then we have we dialogue. Then it's like, okay, let's do this together so that we can be in real time. You're asking me questions or you're giving me feedback or or see, you know, moving the process forward and then you get to do it and still i'm available for questions and then there comes a time where i can pass that off i'm not gonna lie and say that it just it's easy i mean this is really important stuff but my suggestion to him he was going into his first one million dollar launch a couple weeks ago i was like don't hand over the thing that will make or break the the one million dollar launch hand over the thing maybe after the launch right hand over the thing that isn't going to make or break the launch but empowering our people, becoming a leader of leaders is what we're called to do. If we keep all of that credit for ourselves and we're never developing our people, one, we're, we're not really gonna be able to scale. We're gonna hit our ceiling because our, our, we hit our limit. There's only so much capacity that we have. But two, we're not serving the people that are coming into our team that could be growing under our wing and helping them step into to who they're called to be um, within our company and giving them the opportunity to shine. Of course, you have ways that you um, have bench che- bench checks to make sure that someone's not just totally dropping the ball on a project. But I like to find opportunities to say, okay, when they come to me with a question, say, I trust you to make that decision because we've developed enough of a rapport and they know how I do things well enough for me to hand over the reins. In my mind, I'm thinking, man, I really hope they pick this choice because it's what I want. But ultimately, whatever they choose, it's going to be okay. And what's most important is that they feel like I trust them because I do. And that's, that's a muscle that you have to develop, but start with simple things that aren't going to make or break you and, and make sure you train your people well, and then hand them off and actually trust, let them um, grow their wings. Man, there's so many nuggets of wisdom inside there. So definitely, I'm glad you shared all that. Now let's jump into the rapid fire round. And this is where the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. So first question is, how are you creating generational wealth for yourself and your family? Well, through many streams, that's what we believe is diversification and legacy within our business. So one thing that we did um, over the last couple of years was we pivoted from me being the primary face of everything to shifting into the company more because I want this to be something that can be sold or taken over by our kids if that's something that they want to be able to do. I don't want it to be all under under my name and and I'm the face of it. So that was a a transition that we made. We also work with a financial advisor to really guide us in investments and assets and um, being wise with our money. Another thing that we do is we don't care about keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, We have a wonderful life and we intentionally, I'll never forget 10 years ago when I first started my own business, my mentor who made millions of dollars a year said to me, live beneath your means. In perpetuity, live beneath your means. There's never a reason that you have to live even at your means or above unless you're stroking your own ego. Live beneath your means. And 
that has built riches for us. That's give us, given us incredible freedom and opportunity and flexibility. Um, and we bring in the right people to support us, to help us diversify. So we don't try to figure it all out on our own. We want, it's another area where we bring mentorship in. And then we really diversify our business model so that it's not time for money, that if I get hit by a bus, we're still fine. There's still products and offers that are out there digitally that can be sold and serve people well. I have a, an, an amazing team that we've trained up and that um, lives by the mission and lives by our values and could carry this mission for, forward with or without me. So those are the the main focal points when we think about generational wealth. It's not just about the money that we're passing on. It's also the tools that we're passing on to our kids. So I don't want to just hand over a business or hand over a million, you know, millions of dollars or whatever to our kids or assets. I want to first hand them the tools and model what they need to be able to do that successfully. I don't wanna set them up for failure. I've seen it so many times where someone works so hard in this generation to be able to pass something on to their kids and their kids squander it because the parent never gave them the skills, they just gave them the thing. And I don't wanna just give them the thing, I wanna give them those skills. So we focus a lot on skill development and leadership and entrepreneurship for our kids, for our team. I love that and I love creating businesses for my kids thinking, they could eventually take over those businesses. Like your kids, our kids cannot inherit our jobs. There, there's no way they have to actually earn it and be a, you know interviewed and applied and actually get the job. But our businesses, we can definitely work them into it. Um, I'm gonna, so even though it's wrapped right around, I'm going to ask you a question that goes into what you just talked about. How did you transition Lumerary Leadership from being a personality like you based to now being company based so that other people can run it as well as you can bring your kids to be a part of it. Yeah, so it's a, it's a multi-layer answer. So uh, I'm a cold turkey person, right? Like, so when I gave up caffeine, I was like, I went from drinking eight cups a day to zero cups a day and suffered the two weeks of misery because that's just <laughs> how my brain works. I'm, I'm all in or I'm all out. So what I wanted to do was be like, we're shutting this down and we're opening this up. That's not super wise. So what we did was we started stripping down a lot of the things that lived under the Elizabeth Hartke brand um, that were reliant totally on me and front facing. We started behind the scenes developing this brand around Luminary Leadership Company. What is that going to look like? So we were working with a branding team and a website developer and all of that stuff to start building it out. And we, we decided what things from the previous brand could live under the new umbrella and what things just kind of had to fade away because they weren't going to serve the future vision of the company, even if they were really bringing in great money or they were really humming from a numbers perspective. We had a previous podcast that was topping the charts and I just knew in my heart, I don't care about the numbers. I know where this brand is going. We're shutting that podcast down and we're starting anew when everybody was telling me, just rebrand it so you can carry the numbers with you. I knew we had to just do it differently. Um, so some of it's going with your intuition and going with your gut and, and not doing everything based on the metrics, but at the same rate, not doing things that are stupid that are gonna shoot yourself in the foot. So it was a gradual transition. And then it was bringing my audience along for the ride. It was saying, hey, I'm feeling called to this. I'm a little scared to do this. Um, what do you guys think about this? And just humbly sharing the journey and saying, telling them why I was doing it, telling them that um, this is so much bigger than me at this point. I can't carry this on my back alone. I don't want to. It's not just about me. This is about a mission that um, God has gifted to me that is going to take an army and we have our army and it doesn't have to be all branded to me. And it just feels like the right move. Uh, so it was probably like a two oh, a year to two year transition period where we were stripping away certain things and, and really beefing up other things, including our team to be able to bring in the right people who were really a duplication of me. And that was the biggest difference. So I had brought incredible people into my team that filled gaps that I couldn't fill, meaning my operations director, she's all organization, she's all system, my brain doesn't work that way, great, we had that. Then we brought in someone who was sales. And then we brought, so we had all these buckets, but I was still responsible for all the stuff that was visionary, creative, um, and coaching. Then we started bringing in people that also did that. So that took a huge pressure off of me and really did make this go from me to a company. Uh, so that's been a huge gift and that took a little bit of time to find the right people. But you know, when you, I believe so strongly when you don't know the how, when you know 
why and you know what you're called to but you're like i have no freaking clue how this is going to come to fruition that's where i just say okay cool god just show me just show me i'll show up you lay the path out and um i will trust you and he brought us the people that we could have never even dreamed up in a million years and i'm just every day i'm so eternally grateful for this team because um they are divinely gifted to this mission and i'm just a conduit for it and i want to be able to be out of it at some point if that's what god calls me to and i wasn't in that place when it was all a personal brand yeah you mentioned god a lot so do you go to church i do yep Yep. What do you go to church that's, at? There's a that's a big part of our family. We're Catholic. We go to a church out here in Wisconsin, uh, and we are. I literally say all the time, I don't know. This isn't a criticism. This is a genuine reflection. I don't know how people do what we do without knowing that they're being guided. Like, what a freaking pressure! If I actually believed that totally I was agree. in control of all of this including raising kids, like put business aside. If I actually felt like their lives were solely in my hands, I think I'd curl up in a ball and die because that is just such an immense, immense weight. And then put running a business on top of it. It's too much to bear. And there are so many moments of grace in every day. And, and the cool thing is I attract people of all different faiths, no faith, you know, universalist, like stuff that isn't how I live, but they can totally get down with my values. Like we align on our values, even if our faith isn't perfectly aligned. So I'm, I've learned to just speak boldly as far as what I believe, um, not in a way that I, I'm trying to stuff it on anybody, but just like, we're all, we're all being guided, whether you know it or not. And you may as well accept that truth sooner than later, because it, it saves you a lot of gray hair and a lot of stress and probably some years on your life. So, um, yeah, that's a big part of our world. That's great. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I remember when I was starting, I have three podcasts and a couple brands and everything. And I thought about, should I uh, change how I talk? Cause I normally, how I talk, somebody asked me how I'm doing. I said, well, I'm blessed. God's good. Or, um, anything that happens I say, well, praise the Lord. This happened. That's just how I talk. And I thought, should I change that? I'm like, no, that's who I am. I'm going to be as true as I can. If people don't like it, they don't like it. They like it. They like it. I'm just not going to change who I am. So that's, that's good for you. So next question, what is one nonfiction book that you would suggest we should read business life or anything like that? Gosh, uh, the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. John Maxwell has been one of the most pivotal, um, I don't know, tipping point books in my life, probably from, uh, let's see, like seven or eight years ago was the first time I read it. And he actually has a workbook with it that I like even more than the book itself. So it's the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership workbook. And the workbook takes all of these concepts of leadership and makes them actionable and applicable to you uniquely, you know, in your stage of life or business or whatever. So that that's probably the one that I would very strongly recommend. That's a terrific book. There's so many, like each one of those principles, you could just remember the name of it. And you're like, oh, I know exactly what that principle is. Like the law of E.F. Hutton. I remember that. I remember exactly the, the, the right, the person that's the leader who sits down in the room, they'll listen to him, even though he doesn't have the title. So yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic book. So what is one tool, one, maybe it could be an app. It could be a piece of paper and a pencil that you use in your life that we should look into using. I have a 72 inch whiteboard right next to me. And although it doesn't have to be 72 inches, something about a whiteboard is what re-inspires me when I'm having an off day, when I'm feeling like I'm in a rut, when I, you know, I've lost sight of whatever my vision or my mission. Uh, I don't go to, to a podcast. I don't go to a book. I don't go to, I mean, I go to prayer, but outside of that, I go to the whiteboard and I just, it's a, I, what I like about it is I can race and I can like create and envision and then rework it. And to me, it's just been like my number one tool for inspiration and for mapping out the vision of where we're, where we're being guided. That's terrific. Okay. Man, Elizabeth, you give us so much great advice. I know they're going to want to check out Lumeria Leadership, check it out your podcast, talk to us or tell us how we can find you online. One thing that I put together for your audience, because I think uh, a lot of the stuff we talk about today 
it can sound good, but then you're like, okay, how? Like I'm so in the weeds of what I'm doing and I wanna get out of it, but I don't know where to start. Or I want to diversify, but I'm at max capacity. Or I want to make an impact in my family's life, but I'm so stuck in the business, I can't do it. So we have a tool called Unhurried Leadership and it's it's a workbook developed for people like us that want to tap into who they're called to be in business and in their lives and to figure out a roadmap of how to start to roll that out. What does it look like? What needs to be stripped away? What needs to be woven in? And actually gives you the step-by-steps to get there without the feeling like you're, you know, on the great seas without any compass, having no clue where you're going. So that tool can be found at luminaryleadershipco.com forward slash unhurried. And it's really powerful. So that's a great great thing to snag. Um, I'm also over at my podcast each week, twice a week, the Luminary Leadership Podcast. And we have so much fun there because on Mondays, we have an episode geared towards the entrepreneurial leader, scaling, growing, developing and leadership, tapping into their potential and giving them great resources. We have awesome conversations with other guests like you. But then on Thursdays, we have our Raising Luminaries episode for those who are also uh, familypreneurs and have kids. How do you integrate family and business? How do you have the tools to raise leaders of your own? Um, so that's what we talk about on Thursdays. And I'm over on Instagram at Eliz Hartke, H-A-R-T-K-E. That's great. Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You gave us such great advice. Thanks for having me, Dustin. It was a pleasure. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses group coaching with me and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777 so you can see how you can quit your job that J-O-B by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw. Everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successfully unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, Share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.